Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we have conversations with ordinary people to learn how our extraordinary God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited you've joined us. My guest today on Sound of Truth Weekly Interview is Phil Nelson. Phil is the pastor of Lakeland Baptist Church in Carbondale, Illinois, which is also the home of Southern Illinois University. Phil is married to Melanie, and they have seven grown children who all love Jesus. They also have a bunch of grandchildren, and he's an all-around good guy. Phil, welcome to Sound of Truth Podcast. Thanks. Great to be here with you, Brett. Phil, I'd love to hear your story. I want to actually have you on two episodes here. Let's take this first episode, and let's hear your story. Tell us about Phil Nelson. Well, and this is really true. My mom wrote us a whole biography for each one of our kids, each one of my brothers, and I really was the boy named Sue. I came out, they thought I was going to be Dottie Sue. That was going to be my name. And <laughs> went without a name for 12 hours. And because my dad was a Methodist pastor, my mom grew up Baptist, they gave me the name Philip Wesley after the, after the evangelist in Acts chapter 8. Huh. And they founded the Methodist church, John Wesley. So mm-hmm. my, my name was Philip Wesley Nelson. And um, so basically I grew up, church became a bore. By the time I was in eighth grade, church was boring. I didn't want anything to do with that. But I still had this, I had a longing inside to know God, whatever that is. It was just a voice inside. There's got to be more to life than just this. And I went all the way through high school. I graduated from the high school in Des Moines, Iowa, Roosevelt High School. Had 469 uh, students in my graduating class. No gospel witness that I could remember in that four years I was in high school. Mm. I knew I'd made some bad decisions, so I decided I got to get out of the state. I don't want to go to the University of Iowa or Iowa State because they're party schools. So I was interested in psychology and speech. So I checked the closest out-of-state school that was good in that, and it was SIU. So I came here to SIU in 1975, landed smack dab in the number one party school in the nation. (laughs) Uh, But God in his grace, uh, the university lost my housing application, so we showed up two weeks before school started and they had no record of my housing application. I had a carbon copy, but they didn't have it. So they said, we can only put you on a waiting list for 300 students. Well, that wasn't going to work. So we then went around, are there any housing that's available for freshman students? And the last on the list was the Baptist Student Center. And I said, I'm not really interested in religion. Don't want to go there. But God had me walk into that door. And the minute I walked in that lobby, there was just a sense in the presence of God came over me and said, this is where your life's going to change. Mm. And um, in order to live there, you couldn't smoke, you couldn't drink, and you couldn't have girls in your room. And those are three problems in my life at that point. Mm. <laughs> mm. And two weeks into the freshman year, I, I got I gave my life to Christ at Bible Fellowship Baptist Church at Carterville Crossroads. And then God just, you know, I, after, the, after giving my life to Christ on a Sunday night, I didn't know what to do. And so that week, things changed. My vocabulary was diminished by about 50% because the obscenity <laughs> disappeared. And then I asked one of the guys on, on, the, on the floor, I said, what do I do now? I, I think I've given my life to Jesus. What do I do? And he said, well, get a copy of Scripture and start reading it. So I did. And I read through the New Testament my first semester, and I attended every Bible study I could get my hands on. I, I was in church and Bible studies all over the place. Uh, never made Dean's List in my life. I was a B plus, A minus student maybe. But from then on, I made Dean's List all the way through college and, and grad school. It was just that one verse that I learned how to memorize early on was Psalm 119, verse 99. I have more understanding than all my professors because I meditate on your law. Mm. And one of the guys that discipled me early on in my Christian life was Little Tony. 
He's still on campus today, uh, still ministering very effectively. And he said, Phil, if you're going to walk with God, you've got to learn how to memorize scripture. And he and a number of other men encouraged me to memorize not just a verse here and there, but to memorize chapters and books. And I learned that my first four years at SIU. And basically every class I was in was a, was a mission field. And again, Glendale Tony and Fred Bishop and, and uh, Larry Shackley were my mentors at that time. Mm-hmm. And they just pretty much said, hey, your mission field is your college classroom. And so make Jesus an issue in every class you're in. And I just learned that and I started doing that. And for five years at SAU as a student, I, I ended up getting in conversations with my professors. And uh, my senior year, I debated my evolution professor. The, he gave me the last two 75-minute lecture sessions of the semester to present the biblical account of creation. And really? it was just phenomenal. Yes. Uh, I, I purposely took classes for the purpose of making Christ known in the class. And that was because the guys that discipled me did encourage me to do that. And so in my senior year, I'm taking Dr. Staines, an evolutionary professor, and I said, God, would you have him make some statement I know I can defend? So six weeks into the semester, he says, if anybody believes the biblical account of creation, they're stupid because there's no evidence to support it. My hand goes up in the back of the room, and this is a lecture hall of about 85 to 90 students. Yeah. And I had to interrupt because he wasn't looking up for his notes. And I said, excuse me, Dr. Staines, you just made that comment. I wonder if you have any resources to back that up. What's your sources? And then he looked at me and he knew who I was. And he said, well, Mr. Nelson, if you'd like to present the biblical account of creation at the end of the semester, I'll be glad to give you some time. Well, that's like throwing prime rib to a dog if they don't eat. Mm. And so I went up to him after class and I said, Dr. Staines, are you serious? And he said, yes. How much time do you need? 10, 15 minutes? I said, Dr. Staines, I don't want to be ignorant or arrogant about this. I believe I can teach a whole course. And he says, I'll give you the last two 75-minute lecture periods of the semester. And that's how I, I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. The last two 75-minute lecture periods were just rapid-fire questions, and it was standing room only in the lecture hall. I mean, by the end of the semester, nobody was coming to his class because he was just a boring lecturer. But when they knew the Christian was going to stand up and debate the professor, it was kind of like, let's watch the Christian get eaten by the lion. Well, I started, and he didn't say anything. I had 75 minutes the first day, on Tuesday just to refer, I mean, can respond to all his quotes he'd used. And then the next two days later, on Thursday, I said, I spoke for 75 minutes. I wonder if you have any questions. First question, why do you believe the Bible is true? Why is this so important to you? How do you know the Bible is true? How do you, what about the other religions? And for 75 minutes, with over 100 and some students standing room only, I answered questions for 75 minutes. And it was just like, this is incredible. I love this. And that's where I caught fire from that. So, and this was like, and the, you were like 22 years old. I was 22 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> And part of that came, Brett, because the guys that discipled me were great men of God. They still are today. Every Mm -hmm. one of them are still alive. Mm -hmm. And they taught me a passion for the gospel, a passion for the the truth of scripture. And then every Friday I met with Glendale Tony, and I'd be on campus sharing my faith. I'd come to him on Friday and say, here's some questions I don't know the answers to. And he'd just open the Bible and explain to me, here's how we answer that. Here's what the Bible says about that. And I got that kind of training for five years. I got more discipleship here at SIU at the secular party school than I did when I went to seminary for four years. Isn't that something? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm dying to know, after you finished, what was the response at the, at the conclusion of that second day? Were people well, approaching the, you? Well, the response, well and, and again, SIU is pretty much the same as it was 
when I was in college. They're, they're still teaching the same. They were that liberal back then. They are. They're not any more liberal now than they were then. It's just they're more open about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dr. Staines didn't say anything. I mean, he didn't answer anything at all. I had a lot of students ask questions, and I had a lot of conversations after class. But uh, that was toward the end of the semester. So, you know, we were next week was finals week, and we were out. So that's the way that my senior year ended with that. To his credit, at least he, you know, these days, I don't know too many professors that would do that. Well, that's true. And matter of fact, there's a there's a professor on campus right now. I'm trying to get him to do an open dialogue with me. 20 years ago, I debated him. He's an ethics professor here. His name's Dr. Han, Han H-A-H-N, I believe it is. And uh, he's a very engaging professor, mm-hmm. but he's, he's not a believer at all. He, he really ridicules the Christian faith in his class. Mm-hmm. And so one of his students today saw me on campus and said, hey, I'm taking Dr. Hahn for ethics. I said, tell Dr. Hahn I'd like to have a conversation with him. Because 20 years ago, after we had this open debate, he said, I'd love to do this every semester to help students see both sides. Well, he's never followed up on that. And uh, I'd love to I'd love to do that with him. Just have an open, not an open debate, but open discussion. Hey, sure. how do you deal with this issue? And why do we know this? And so I'm trying to get the professors to respond to me. And Right now, I don't know if he will or not, but for those of you who are listening, if you'd pray for Dr. Hahn at SIU, uh, that he'd be open to an open, uh, open discussion with college students attending, make that a matter of prayer. That'd be awesome. I'd like to yeah. rewind a little bit and ask you a few questions yeah. regarding your, your conversion. Um, sure. So how did your parents respond when you went from going off to this school where you knew you'd need to avoid the partying to now you're sure. a Jesus freak? Well, and we, that was a very interesting time in our life. Because I hadn't been in church in five years, and my dad, last thing he said to me when he dropped me off on campus is, hey, Phil, I'd like to see you start going to church again. So two weeks later, I call him on the phone and say, hey, Dad, I want you to know I got saved. And his first response to me was, don't go overboard. Now, he was a Methodist, and he I think he was still kind of working out some of his own faith issues at that time. But I got saved at a very independent Baptist, fundamental King James only church. Gotcha. And their view was, you know, anybody that's not in our camp isn't going to heaven. And my dad and mom thought I'd gotten involved in a cult and they were just scared to death. I was going to go down that route. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the so pendulum swung me, too far the other way in their minds. Yes, right. Uh, but over the, t- over the time, the Lord started changing and I had to do some work too in my own heart of honoring my parents. But uh, over time, right before my dad died, I, I prayed with him. And we talked about the gospel. And uh, at the end, the last sermon I preached, uh, he, I was the last person he heard preach before he died. Mm. And he told me at the end, he said, son, that's the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. And oh. then a week later, he was dead. Oh, wow. So it's just a really cool, cool event. What a gift from the Lord to you to have that, for yep. you to have that too, yep. right? Yeah. And I got to preach my dad's funeral. And when I was walking down the backstage, backstairs of the funeral, I remember thinking this to myself. There are a lot of people that die having regrets they hadn't done completed the business with their parents. Mm-hmm. I was walking down the back stairs and I said, there's no regret. Oh, that's wonderful. This is, this is absolutely the way to do it. Yeah, that's good. And that's God's grace. Absolutely. Is your mom still living? Yeah, uh, no. My mom lived with her. She, they lived, Mom lived with us for the last eight years of her life down here. And when she moved into her house, she said, now, son, I'm not going to go to the hospital and I'm not going to go to the nursing home. I'm going to die in this house. And I said, okay, mom. And on August 26, 2015, she was in the bed in the afternoon and the sun came through the window and she looked at me and she said, son, this would be a good day to go home, wouldn't it? Oh, wow. And she was 89 years old, hadn't really been sick. And I said, mom, it sure would. And for the next hour or so, we just opened scripture and read Isaiah 35, Isaiah 11, Revelation 21 and 22. And we talked about what it was going to be like when she saw Jesus and 
Then she prayed for me and my two older brothers. And then she said, son, it's been a privilege to be your mom. And I said, mom, you don't want to lie. If you're going to see Jesus in a couple hours, I was the worst kid in your block. <laughs> and that, that night at seven o'clock, she went home to be with the Lord. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then now I've got my wife's parents living with us. And my, my father-in-law is on, he's got severe congestive heart failure. He's in the hospital. We took him there this morning about three o'clock this morning. And, uh, it, you know, we're praying for the Lord to be gracious to him. If he's going to stay around for a while, if he needs to go to be with Jesus, we're ready either way. Mm-hmm. When my wife and I got married, we said to each other, as God gives us ability, our parents will live with us their last days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course my dad died. He was not ever in the nursing home or anything like that. He died of cancer in 1998. Uh, but then my mom came to live with us about six years later. And she was with us for eight and a half years. And, um, mm. I mean, our kids grew up with grandma in the house. They grew up and they were here. Most of them were here when grandma died that night. Oh. So they got to see the whole process of death. They saw, uh, my 13 year old at the time, my 13 year old daughter would come home every afternoon from school and she'd take care of grandma by herself. And we didn't know this until after grandma died. She was cleaning up grandma because grandma was afraid of falling and breaking a bone. Mm. And so she'd come home every day after school and clean up grandma and get her dressed. And we never knew she did that. Oh, wow. But it was just that there's something about having your parents in your home at the last stage of their life, if possible. There's just something graceful about that that's very, very neat. It's just wonderful that you got to have such a, a great conclusion with your parents. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you, you met your wife, Melanie. Well, I was a senior in college, and uh, I was convinced because I could not find any girl to date me. Because when we go out on dates, we're going to share the gospel with the waiter or waitresses, people we're going to be standing around, and we're going to pray on a date, and we're going to study the Bible together. I just couldn't get a girl that would agree to do that with me for some reason. And so I'm, I'm convinced I'm going to be a celibate. And so I come back my senior year, and a good friend of mine, Mike Roberts, comes over and says, man, you've got to see this girl. Okay. So I went over, and I, I saw her, and she was five foot, five foot zero, weighed about 95 pounds, and I'm six four, weighed about two. 50 at the time. And yeah, you know, that's pretty cool, but she's probably already taken. And then scenario just worked itself out and we found ourselves together and she was excited about my sharing Christ on the streets. And she, our first date together, we studied on prayer and fasting in her dorm room for about four hours. And today, to date, that's the best Bible study in prayer and fasting I've ever had. Wow. And it just kind of went from there. So, and now we've been married 43 and a half years. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. So you graduated from SIU. And yep. did you get married right then? We got married on uh, the day after graduation. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I get that wrong. Uh, I got married on December 23rd, 1979. And then uh, we, I graduated from SIU the next May. And then we both went down to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. She started her nursing school and I started seminary at the same time. And then we graduated four years later on the same day. I graduated in the morning and she graduated at night. And her parents, who were missionaries, happened to be home on furlough, so they were able to participate with our graduation, which is pretty cool. And then I uh, did a year and a half of postgraduate work at Baylor Medical Center in Dallas in pastoral counseling, and then I came up here to SIU as a campus pastor. Okay. And so her parents were missionaries, SBC missionaries, is that That's right? That's correct, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that means Southern Baptist Convention. So, right. and, and they served, where did you say? Well, they served in Malaysia, uh, China, uh, Hong Kong, uh, India, Taiwan, Thailand, Germany, Russia, Bulgaria. They, to this day, have the record of being in more countries than any other Southern Baptist missionary in the history of the convention. Is that so? Yes. How many languages did they have to learn? 
Well, my father-in-law was proficient in about seven. Now, he wasn't fluent in all of them, but he was proficient in about seven. My mother-in-law was proficient in about four. Mandarin, Cantonese, Malay, Hindi. Uh, my father-in-law knew German, Russian. Um, so it was, it was quite a fun thing when they were around. When he knew his languages, now he's got he's got his one language. He's had several strokes, so he's lost some of that. Mm-hmm. But uh, they could converse in our table in front of us in like four languages, and we couldn't even have an idea what they're saying. Now, did your so, daughter have, was she multilingual? I mean, not your daughter, I'm sorry. Was their daughter my, your my wife? wife. Yeah. My wife was when I married her, yes, and now she's just one language. I, I've skilled her to one language now. <laughs> <laughs> but she's an incredible lady. She, she is intelligent beyond measure. And I, I, I always say I got her to say yes before she found any other American guy. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is a this is a, a good example of the old youth pastor illustration of uh, the the person on the chair gets pulled down instead of pulling the other person up. That's right. That's right. And, and lingu- yeah. linguistically speaking, so. Yes, that's right. But I have been blessed beyond measure with my in-laws. I couldn't have any better in-laws and and the children my wife has given us have been just a uh, both adopted and natural birth, uh, I couldn't be more blessed than what I've got. That's great. That's good. Phil, thanks for sharing your story. It's wonderful to hear about the grace of God in your life. And uh, I think we'll come back for another episode and we'll talk more about uh, what God's been doing on the campus of Southern Illinois University and how how he's been using you uh, to reach out to some students with the gospel. So thanks for coming on this episode. Appreciate it a lot, Phil. You're welcome. Glad to do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth podcast is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville and is copyrighted by Brett Amorani, 2023.